everyone, and welcome to today's episode on the Success Coach Podcast. My name is Rashita, and I'm a marketing intern for Success Coach, and we launch an episode every few days regarding college admissions and your burning questions about it. On today's episode, we have Shruti, Success Coach's SAT ACT tutor, who will be answering some of the most asked questions about standardized testing. Hi, it's nice to meet you guys. Um, like Harshita said, my name is Shruti. Um, I'm mostly focused on helping students um, decide between the SAT, ACT, which is best for them, um, and just creating a study plan that works best for them. Um, as a part of Success Coach, I do run um, a tutoring uh, service for students where you know they can um, get free assistance, and that means just like deciding which exam is best, looking over practice um, exams, and kind of deciding. Um, and we also do have um, a paid model for students that want a little bit more help. Um, and that would entail like more um, individualized training, um, kind of going into the topics that your specific student is struggling with. Yeah, so it's definitely a thing to check out if you're struggling in either the SAT, ACT, and Shruti will be your person for that. Okay, speaking of standardized testing, I just wanted to ask you if you don't mind, like what your specific experience was with the SAT and AC or ACT. Yeah, so I took the SAT a long time ago when I was in high school. Um, I actually did not attempt the ACT when I was in high school because I was pretty um, happy with my SAT score. Um, but since then, I've kind of um, taken the ACT practice exams and familiarized myself with it. Um, when I took the SAT, though, I got a 1600 out of 1600. Um, so I think I was pretty well versed at the time. Um, and I've continued to keep up that knowledge with the exam. Okay, that's that's great. Um, so how do students decide between the SAT, ACT? What are the different ways to see which one works better for you and which one you can score better on? Yeah, so I usually tell students that um, the general basis is that the SAT is easier for the math section, harder for reading. So if you're generally better at math in school, um, you know, that's something to consider you know, versus how you do in reading. Um, and then the ACT is a lot harder for math because you have less time just a lot harder questions. But, you know, in comparison, the reading section is a lot easier. Um, so if you're like more of a STEM student, the ACT might be better for you. If you're more of a humanities student, the SAT is probably better. Um, that's like the general um, baseline. But I usually recommend students like take an actual practice exam for, for both tests because you're never really going to know until you actually sit down and do it because, you know, both exams have different timings and you want to make sure you can, you know, answer the questions in that timeline. Um, so yeah, I guess the general advice would be, you know, just look into what subjects you do better in school typically, and also take a practice exam to see which, you know, test you score better on. Yeah, I, I've attempted both SAT and ACT, like the practice test, obviously, and I realized, as you said, that math section is always like harder in the ACT, and I'm mm -hmm. like a math student, I'm not a STEM student at all, so I always mm -hmm. like focus on the math section, like even in the SAT, like I always try to score an eight, like an eight. 100 out of 800 so I can like put more focus on the English section so this is more of a specific question regarding the SAT ACT so do colleges have a preference like whether you take the SAT or ACT like for example I've heard people say that um they take the ACT because they're majoring in something STEM related and they the ACT has a like a science section so they're like colleges want me to take the ACT because I'm going into like computer science or something or biology yeah um I don't think that's super true especially for like if you're a STEM student you want to take the ACT because it has science 
Um, that used to be more true when they had SAT subject tests, but now they've gotten, gotten rid of those and now they just deal on the AP exam. Because personally, the AP exam is like a way better way to test your knowledge in that specific subject. Um, so I think for the most part, it doesn't matter. You just have to take one or the other um, and, you know, meet, meet like the median score that that college typically, typically has um, and just meet the benchmark. So like if they say, you know, minimum, we want a student with like, like a good score would be 1500 and above. You have to meet that benchmark and you're pretty much um, not going to be penalized for not doing one or the other. Okay. So if you're struggling in the SAT or ACT, what's the best way to prepare for it in your upcoming test? What's the best way to like go about practice exams, analyzing mistakes? What's the best what's the best strategy for that? Yeah, so it usually depends on how much time you have. Like if you have a year, you can probably take a lot more time to like delve into the mistakes. But I would say for like a typical student, they have like three to four months before their, you know, first exam, second exam, you know, their actual testing date. Um, usually I tell students, like, when you're starting out, do not take too many practice tests. There's a finite amount of resources out there. So within the first month, that probably would entail like taking a practice test a week. And as you're, you know, getting closer and closer to your exam date, you, you know, ramp up the intensity to the point where you're like so comfortable taking an exam, you're not even nervous because that's ideally what you'd want for the actual exam day. Um, and the main part is not doing practice questions, doing all these exams. The whole point is how you learn from them. Um, so I usually tell students the day after an exam, do not like study anything new, just take a day to debrief um, and understand like what were the mistakes that you made? Why did you make them? Uh, so I usually recommend my students to keep a notebook where they can write down all the missed problems. And usually that's easier for math than it is for English. Um, but just have a, you know, a running list of things that you can continuously go back to because um, you're probably not going to miss like 15 new issues every time. It's going to probably be the same things that you're struggling with. So as long as you keep a running list of like, these are the types of questions I missed, you know, every time you're struggling, you can go back to those and, you know, rethink of like, oh, this is a strategy I could use. This is like an even quicker way to solve this problem. Um, and I usually find that's a lot more of a targeted way to fix your issues rather than using just, you know, a generalized test prep book, because those are intended to help everyone with every single issue. And that might not be the case for you. You might just struggle with geometry. So you want to figure out all the geometry questions that you can of like from the resources you do have and continuously work at those until you almost memorize the formula and solution method so that you can just like blindly apply that to whatever question comes, you know, obviously change it to match it, um, but just make it as easy as possible on you by making sure that making sure that you're addressing your own, you know, specific needs. Mm, yeah, I've seen a lot of platforms that have a lot of resources for SAT. And I've heard the most popular one is Khan Academy SAT. Like a lot of people in my grade have been using Khan Academy. Do you recommend it though? Like, is it, I've heard some of the exams might not be as accurate. Like there's like the first couple first ones and the last ones that may be more difficult or more easier than the actual SAT. So I don't know if you've heard that, but do you recommend the SAT, Khan uh, Academy SAT? Yes, uh, 100% I recommend it. It was created like in partnership with College Board. So, yeah. you know, other than like official college prep books, um, it's probably the most accurate to how the exam is going to be. Um, in regards to like the difficulty of exams, um, I believe the 10 practice tests that are available on Khan Academy are like the first 10 SAT exams that were administered after the change in 2016. So the reason why they kind of change in difficulty is like, obviously it's hard to make every exam the same. So the only thing that changes is the scoring. So let's say the first exam is really, really easy. And I think like practice test five is like typically a hard one. 
they would um, change the scoring metrics. So you have a lot more room for error on the fifth exam versus the first exam. So don't worry too much about like how hard the exam is because like you don't know what you're gonna get on the exam day. You could get an easy one or a hard one. Um, it's all gonna measure out in the end. Um, but yeah, overall, really, really good resource, especially because it is free and you can pretty much do it however much you want. Yeah, speaking of the easy and hard thing on the test day, I've heard there's like a lot of myths about, um, for example, like August, the August date being like having a harder test. Like there's been studies that August has a harder test than like October, for example. And I'm not completely sure if that's true. Like I'm taking the test in August and October. So I don't really know what to believe, but I'm just going on test day, like expecting not like, I don't know whether to expect hard or easy. I'm just like preparing for the worst. So like, <laughs> just in case, you know, if like August does have a heart, like if I, if I do get a heart test, then I don't want to be like underprepared for that. Mm -hmm. But speaking of like, the, like multiple times you should take the SAT, like well, how many times is the best? Like what is, what is, what is your recommended amount of times to take the SAT, ACT? Yeah. So um, I'll first address the first question about like, is the August exam harder? Yeah. Um, I, I don't really see that. I see a lot of like students, like like question and answer services afterwards. So I compared um, October versus August. I think it's just that more students take the August exam and like every exam you take is gonna feel hard. Less people take October, you know, less voices to say it's difficult. Um, I wouldn't say there's too much of a difference because at the end of the day, the scoring will help you if it's a harder exam. Might make a little bit harder if it's an easier exam. Um, but I would say, you know, taking both is a good option. So you'll kind of, you know, see firsthand. Um, and then in regards to how many times you should take the exam, I always struggle with this because I personally think like you shouldn't take the exam before you're ready. If you're just good to kind of get caught up and like, oh, I have to take this exam, I'm going to take it. And then you're going to be completely done. Like you're going to be so burnt out after you take that first attempt. You're not going to do it anymore. And there's going to be a gap before you like pick up back into practice. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually tell students to wait as long as they can before their first attempt. And so that's usually like three to four months. You know, if you have like a whole year to prepare, wait as long as you can. Um, and then if you really, really need to do a second attempt, but don't take the second attempt if it's like a totally lost cause, like do it with a purpose. So let's say you did really good on reading, you like flubbed the math section. You should go into the second exam attempt with the intention of super scoring so that you can maximize your time. If you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna take it again to see what happens. I don't think that's a good approach because like, the likelihood nothing is going to improve. And in fact, it probably will decrease because you're not going to be as motivated as you were the first time. Um, so I would say um, it depends obviously on each student. I would say the standard is like two to three times. I would heavily caution against the third attempt because like you, nothing is really going to change at that third point unless you've done like, you know, you've completely changed up your life, which is probably not going to happen. So I would say strive for one and two is okay if you need to. Um, but yeah, it obviously depends on each student. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So what are the best times like during the year or like during your high school years? What are the best times to take the AC, SAT, ACT? Because I've like talked to a lot of students that have already taken it. They're, they're entering junior year this year and they've already taken it during sophomore year and they got a great score. But I know people who are taking it like, like, like the summer of senior year. So I don't really know what the best, what's like the best time to take the SAT, ACT. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know that a lot of students try to take it in 10th grade, which is fine, you know, get it out of the way early. Um, but like in schools, I'm pretty sure more students end up taking the PSAT um, in 11th grade. 
that's the last year you take it and it is official exam. So like you might want to keep up your prep, your SAT prep until you take the PSAT because both exams are very similar. Even if you are taking the ACT, a lot of similar concepts you'll be reviewing. So I recommend students like push it around your the beginning of your 11th grade year. So that way it's like done around the same time. You don't have to like, after you finish your real exam, you don't need to spend months on end preparing for the PSAT because you know you can use that to apply for college scholarships um, and other you know financial aid and stuff like that. Um, so I usually tell students, um, you can start prepping in 10th grade, but just know that you're not gonna really take it until the 11th grade. Um, I also don't remember, recommend taking it before the PSAT because the PSAT is a really important time where you can get feedback on like what you missed. Like when you're not as nervous, well, you're going to be more nervous than how you were in a practice test. So it's just a, another simulation. So I usually recommend um, December of your 11th grade year. Um, I think there's also like a November date. I could be wrong because it changes up year to year. Um, but yeah, just definitely around December. Um, it's usually like right before your guys' finals start. So like amazing. Um, and then in terms of what to avoid, I would say May, Ju June is like, okay, whatever. Um, May, I would definitely avoid because it's usually like May 6th. Mm -hmm. And that's like right before AP exams. Yeah. And like, they're both equally important. You don't want to have to like take one over the other. So I would say like worst one to do is June or is May and best one would be December. Okay, that, that makes sense. I was originally planning on doing it in December, but my uh, but my mom was like, just do it earlier. Like, why not? Do, do it with the PSAT. Just, just finish it off so you can focus on junior year. And then my friend ended up taking it during May because she, she mm -hmm. didn't like do any APs, but she did it during May and she got like a really good score on the SAT. So she's like completely done. She's like done with the SAT. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um. next question is... I know you mentioned something about super scoring in your, one of your previous answers. So can you explain the concept of super scoring and do specific colleges not allow it or do all colleges? Because I, I, I've heard super scoring is like was a popular thing a while ago, but I'm not I haven't heard of it that prominent this in this like currently. Yeah. So basically, for most colleges, when you apply, you have to like self admit your like you have to report your own score. Um, and most, at least on the Common App, you're allowed to super score on there. Um, but you do have to provide like receipts for like, this is what I got on the first exam, the second exam, that info will go to them. So I believe Stanford and some other colleges will recalculate the score how they want. So we don't really know. They say they care if they will take into consideration super scoring, but they also do have access to the raw data, like what you got in both attempts. Mm -hmm. So like, we don't really know, but for the majority of colleges, they do accept super scoring and they don't recalculate it again themselves. So basically what you tell them is what they will be considering. Um, and essentially super scoring is where you take like the highest score of all your attempts for the math section, and then the highest score for all the attempts for like reading in English, um, and then you combine them. So like if you did really good on math one time and really good on English, boom, you got like a really high score overall. Um, I personally think it's like a good enough method. Like it's hard to focus on both, you know? So if you know that you struggle with that, you know, dedicate your time to each section specifically to get the best score. Um, and then in terms of do colleges really care about it? I don't think they do. There's always ways students can gain the system. And I don't think they care about standardized testing that much where they're going to be monitoring it. It's mostly just like a benchmark. Did you pass, you know, this certain score to prove that you put in the time and effort to study? And then you're on to the next step. I don't think there's, you know, too much uh, scrutinizing of it. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of um, 
colleges caring about the um, standardized testing. I know in COVID, lots of policies have changed. Uh, specifically, um, the state of California has dropped the SAT, ACT. What does that mean for the relevance of the test in terms of college applications in the in the near future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm not too familiar with the exact policies for California, but I believe they went like test optional. And then they're like, oh, we might, I think it's test optional for like out of state yeah. and then test blind for in-state. Um, so I'm not from California. So I didn't like know too much about what it would be like test blind. Um, but at least for test optional, I mean, I think it's a, it's a fine policy because you know where your strengths are. Um, and obviously I would recommend taking the exam, not because I tutor for that, but because it's like an extra way to show yourself um, and prove that you might not just be good in your school, but like objectively you are, you know, scoring at like this type of level. Um, so I would say always when you have the option to do it, do it, unless you score, you know, significantly below like the median average for a school. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I think it shows initiative that you, you know, took the time to study for this um, and you prepared for this long. Um, but I think overall, you know, all these standardized exams are lo losing relevance. I know that California in particular, like proposed like having their own like state exam. I don't know how feasible that would be. Because like, which student wants to study for like 10 different exams if they want to apply for different states? Um, I think we're more going to see the trend of students or colleges relying more on like just grades in general. Um, and extracurriculars, letters of recommendation, stuff that is more subjective than like objective measures like SAT scores, um, you know, because they want to have a more well-rounded class and not just, you know, a group of students who are like valedictorians, like 4.8 GPA. They don't want to have, you know, all those types of students. So I think it is losing relevancy, but probably not if you're like planning to apply within 2026. Mm, okay, okay. It's like for schools that don't, like they don't, some for like in-state schools, for example, UCs, they have gone completely, they have the test line. For those schools who don't like require test scores, there's been like number of applications that like they have risen due to more students becoming more potentially eligible for the school. Mm -hmm. So what's the new strategy to apply here? Because like SCT is not considered anymore and more students are becoming eligible. So what's the new strategy to apply? Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky because like you want to have a good score for out of state, but um, I mean, all that's left is to maximize your other options. And that means, you know, cultivating more time in the classroom with like professors, or sorry, teachers that would be helpful to actually write a good letter of recommendation with you, you know, spend more time on clubs. Maybe if you know, oh, I'm only applying to California schools, you're not going to really need to write the SAT. So don't even put the effort into it. Might as well just like put that into, you know, doing meaningful clubs volunteering in your free time, maybe doing like a special project um, that will set you apart from other students. Because the way that SAT is usually used is to compare you against other students. But when there is no objective bar anymore, you really need to make yourself stand out. Um, so I would say it is tricky, but you need to carve a niche for yourself. You know, even if you're interested, you know, in med, med school, you want to become a doctor, be pre-med and all that. Find an interesting niche. Maybe you will be really interested in the humanities um, and combine the two. Do something that's going to else isn't doing to at least help yourself stand apart mm, okay okay so are test scores enough to balance our grades in a way that they're they might not be in range for a certain school like for a certain college or multiple colleges that someone might be considering mm -hmm. um i think it can be um on the common app application there is like a section where you can explain you know hardships any struggles you've had so if you have like a really 
maybe one semester you did really bad and your GPA kind of tanked because of that, you can explain that away. And through a high SAT score, you can prove like I am a good, you know, academically strong student. I just had like a weak spot. And that's just further evidence to prove that you are telling the truth there. Um, I would say like, let's say you have like a 2.0 GPA and it's been all that way all through high school. There's not that much explaining you can do. And like, even if you got a 1600, I don't know how much that would do for your case because um, you're not giving them that much evidence to believe you. There's a lot of ways you can gain the SAT. You can pay for it. You can cheat and all that. So I don't think you would do as much. Um, I think the way that they use it is more just to prove that you are a good student in conjunction to all the other factors. So you having like a 1600 is not going to wipe away years of not doing anything else. Um, it's just something that can boost you up in other areas. Okay, that makes sense. I think I personally got a lot from this uh, chat that we had. And I want to thank you for answering these questions that most asked questions. And I hope our listeners also got something out of these. And make sure to check out Success Coaches, SAT, ACT, Tutoring Business, if you're struggling in these tests, and you can contact Shruti for that. And make sure to join us again for our next episode. Hi. If you have any questions about college admissions that you would like us to answer, please email them to us at info at successcoach.com. One more time, info at successcoach.com. Thanks for listening.